Okay, so new year, new series. Let's let's start at the very beginning. Very good. Wait, you you don't know the song? Come on, man. Update your song list. <laughs> okay, um So, okay, so we're going to start a new series and uh the preparation has not been <laughs> very easy. Uh, I am. I will be preaching all three sermons in this series. Good for you. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, but but I'm I'm also super excited. Okay. Uh, so so let's let's start let's start by prayer. Start with some prayer, and and then we'll begin. Okay. Let's pray. We come before God. Let's just ask God to prepare our hearts. You know you know in this series I'm I'm sure you've heard all the stories before. Um, but let's ask God to speak to us afresh, give us a fresh revelation as we look at his word. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we know that, that all scripture is God-breathed. And, and so, Father, we, we, we thank you that we have the privilege of, of looking at your word or we, we have your word, we can read your word. And Holy Spirit, we ask that today, would you come and speak to each of us, God? Would you come in and, and open our eyes, open our ears to hear what you have to say? God, would you prepare our hearts now that, that Father, we will be ready to really sit at your feet and, and hear from you and receive from you today. So God, give us understanding um, and, and speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, I shall start by sharing with you why Genesis is a great book to study. Okay, so that you will be excited as well, okay? Are you ready? Why study Genesis? Okay, because it is the beginning, right? What? What? What do you mean? What do you mean? I'm surprised. I'm excited. Problem, boys. Okay, you know the word Genesis? The word Genesis, it just means beginning, right? I mean, you just use it as a normal English word, right? And so, obviously, it's the first book of the Bible, it's, it's, it's the beginning, right? And, and Genesis is actually a book of beginnings, okay? If you read Genesis, you will understand the beginning of things like the creation, the world, right? Or things like marriage, um, sin, you know, the, the first murder, um, etc., etc., okay? It is, it's a book of beginnings. And so Genesis tells us a lot about God, about man, ourselves, and about the world, Okay? And, and in Genesis, um, you will encounter this thing called the law of first mention, okay? Now, the law of first mention is basically the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, okay? So, and, and, that is, and, and that is always significant, right? For example, today we look at the first time the Sabbath is mentioned in the Bible, okay? So, the, and that's always significant, okay? Now, can anybody tell me, okay, I have a prize for you, okay? Some prizes today. Can anybody tell me when is the first time Worship was mentioned in the Bible. Yes? Who killed what son? Abraham what? Okay, very good. Abraham, before he killed, uh, he didn't kill that. He sacrificed Isaac. Okay, catch. Okay, my throat is too good. Okay, okay very good. So, so, the first time, for example, the first time worship is mentioned in the Bible is when Abraham uh, had to sacrifice, well, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Okay, so it's not about music, right? It's not about like, like King David dancing or whatever, right? It's, it's about 
Abraham sacrificing his son. So that's significant, right? Because that tells us about worship, right? So what, what, what's it got to do with worship, okay? Okay, maybe we'll talk about next week, worship ministry. Remember? The, okay. Okay, now, the book of Genesis, okay? So it's the book of beginnings. Um, okay, Genesis also anticipates all false philosophies, okay? For example... Um, stuff like atheism, pantheism. Okay, if you don't know what all these are, it's fine. Okay, but I'm just telling you that, that you know, when you encounter like a, a false philosophy, the book of Genesis would be a good book to refer back to. What does God actually say? Okay, what, what, what is God actually um, like? What is God about? So I don't have time to explain all this. Of course, you can um, PM me. But if, if you want, you know, answers to why these philosophies don't hold, you can find a lot of those answers in the book of Genesis. Okay. In the book of Genesis, you will also find the root of all major doctrines. Okay, stuff like, um, you know, salvation by, by faith, not by works. Uh, all, all these things, are, okay? Because Genesis is an introduction to the Bible. So you will find all these major ideas about God and Christianity in the book of Genesis. First mentioned in the book of Genesis, okay? And finally, in Genesis is the beginning of the Bible's one Big integrated message, okay? You know, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is actually one unified message, okay? There are, there are many, of course, there are many like sub-messages, right? In, in, in different books and all that. But there is one main message and all the books of the Bible proclaim this message, okay? And particularly, if you look at the beginning and the end, if you look at Genesis and Revelation, you will see the unity of the Bible. You know, if you read Revelation, okay, there are so many references to Genesis. Okay, if you compare the first two chapters of Genesis to the last two chapters of Revelation, so first two of the Bible, last two of the Bible, tons of similarities, right? There's the, the garden, there's the rivers, and, and, and all that, the tree of life, and, and all that. Okay, so okay, we don't have time to, to cover all that today, um, but, but there's, there, there are all these links, okay? Because the Bible is one unified message. And actually, every New Testament writer, okay, there are, there are only a few, right? Every New Testament writer will refer to the early chapters of Genesis, okay, which is chapter 1 to 11, which is what our series is about, okay? So things like the creation, um, the fall, the flood, the, the patriarchs, meaning people like um, Ab uh, Noah, Abel, Enoch, you know, they will Almost every, you know, every New Testament writer refers to something in the first 11 chapters. Okay, so that's why the first 11 chapters are, are significant, okay? And, you know, last week I talked about how this year we say we want to devote ourselves to the Word, right? And so I really want to tell you that the Bible is one integrated message, okay? The Bible is, is actually 66 books, right? Now, the Bible is written by about 40 different writers, and, and it's probably written over a span of um, 1,500 years, okay? And it's written in different places, right? Different nations. And it's also written in three languages. Who can tell me what are the three languages? What? Who said that? Come on, give me a pair of skittles. What? Yes, Jebby? <laughs> you raised your hand. <laughs> Greek? Very good, that's one. <laughs> Roman. Roman is uh, not a language, unfortunately. 
Let a note there, wrong. <laughs> huh? Arabic? <laughs> wrong religion, dude. <laughs> okay, Hebrew. Chinese, no, wrong. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna give it to Charlene, okay? Charlene, one of the three. And? Yes, very good. Okay, catch. You said Chinese! <laughs> okay, I uh, just, just catch her, okay? <laughs> so, 66 books, okay? 40 different, at least about 40 different people wrote it um, over a span of, of many, many years, right? Um, different nations, three languages. Now, obviously, these 40 people didn't like come together, they sit in a room and like, okay, let's write the Bible now, and then they did, right? It's, it's, it, 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 it was written like over many years. Um, but there is one integrated message, one message. And if you read the Bible, right, everything holds together. You know, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a literature person, okay, I'm a literature student, right? And I tell you, right, this is a literary masterpiece. Like, I, I'm not even exaggerating because everything holds together. There are like so many different layers. The more you study it, the more you're like, oh, shucks, everything relates to each other. There, there's, there's like so much in here. It's, it's crazy. And, and, and it's 66, I mean, look at this, right? The fact that over all these things, there is one message means that there has to be one author behind everything. It, it has to be, right? It can't be a, 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 like a strange coincidence. It's written by 40 men, but one author, the Holy Spirit. And you know, I've, I've heard the, the creation story, right, from, from when I was a, a little kid, right? I grew up in church. And, and this week, as I was um, meditating on a creation story, there's like still so much more that, that I learned. You know, there's this song that goes, um, I, I spend my life to know that I'm far from close. That's it, you know? It's like you spend your life studying this and you're not even close to understanding everything about it. So there is one integrated message, right? What is this message? What is this message? Remember this? Remember this? Right? This is the one overarching integrated message of the Bible. It is the message of the gospel. Remember we talked about the, the, the four spiritual laws, right? God loves you. has a wonderful plan for your life. Right? Look at the story of creation. God loves us. He created a beautiful world, amazing world. He told man, you know, fill the world, rule over it, subdue it, and everything. And I give you all these plants and trees for, for food and all that. But, rule number two, man is sinful. Adam and Eve ate the fruit, right? They had one job. God was like, you have one job. Don't eat from this tree. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to eat from this tree, right? So they disobeyed. And, and because of that, because of that, there was sin, and therefore there was separation from God. And so sin entered the world, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23. And, and Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but... But what? What? Yeah, very good. Okay, da, da, da. okay, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. <laughs> the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Okay, catch. <laughs> okay. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so because man cannot save himself, God has to save us, and redemption came through 
Jesus Christ, right? Third law, only Jesus is the answer, right? Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And then, of course, law number four is about our response, right? We have to receive him as Savior and Lord. And so, this is the one integrated message, and really, you can call it a summary of the Bible. That there was creation, there was the fall, and then there was redemption. And, and you know, actually, we will see this kind of like, it's kind of almost like a pattern of this throughout the Old Testament, okay? Like God will, will have a, a good plan for the people of Israel, right? He'll free them from slavery in Egypt. He'll bring them to the promised land, right? But inevitably along the way, the people will screw up. They will, you know, they will disobey Him. They will sin. They will turn away from God. They, they will fall. And then they will face the consequences of their sin, right? Like, you know, the, the enemies will invade them or whatever. And then God has to come and redeem them, deliver them, help them, and, and save them. And then they'll screw up again, right? And then, oh, cycle again. And then God has to come again, right? Now, remember, remember last week I told you that, that the Bible is, is really God's love letter to you, right? Because the big message and the primary theme of the Bible is that of redemption. It's one of redemption. That God, the extent that God would go to to save and redeem you and me. And that's why we call the entire Bible the gospel, right? You know what gospel means? Good news, right? And, and, and when we say the gospel, I mean, sometimes we refer to, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But actually, the entire Bible, we call it the gospel as well because the entire Bible is the message of good news. It's the message of redemption. Okay, let me tell you, a, so, so let, just bear with me, okay? I will make the link to the creation story soon, okay? So if you look at the OT, okay, the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the story of a nation, right? It's the story of Israel, people of Israel. And how God loved them, right? They're a special nation to Him. But of course, they kept screwing up, right? They kept screwing up, but God kept saving them. Screw up, save them, right? And then the New Testament is the story of a man. Who's this man? Jesus, right? Jesus who died and rose again for the sake of our redemption. So it's one integrated message of redemption. In fact, look at this. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the new testament is the old testament revealed Ta-da! do you get it okay let's just pause for a while some people some of you are like what the old testament is the new testament concealed it means the new testament is actually hidden inside the old testament and the new testament is the old testament revealed that means when you read new testament you, it reveals the old testament so when you read the new testament it's like oh this is what the you know, the prophets and all these people were talking about. Remember last week when, when like, Peter, like, suddenly he was, like, preaching from the Old Testament, right? So he was preaching about Jesus Christ. He was using all these things from the Old Testament. And they're like, oh, so it was all about Jesus, right? And then when you read the Old Testament, sometimes you'll be like, hey, this, this sounds a bit familiar, right? Because this is what the New Testament is about. It points to Jesus, right? And so Jesus Christ is, is, is like, hidden or, like, concealed in all the pages of the Old Testament as well. And as we read of Israel, like, constantly screwing up, and then they have to make sacrifices, right? And then God saves them and all that. You realize that, actually, it all points to Jesus. 
right? You read the book of like Kings or Samuel Kings and, you know, Chronicles. Like they were all, Israel will have all these kings. Like some are good, some are bad, but none of them are perfect. And it all points to the fact that the only perfect king of kings will come soon, Jesus Christ, right? Only Jesus is the answer, right? The third law. Okay, I, I want to show you uh, two more verses before we, we, we start. Okay, if you look at this, um, Luke 24, this is the passage, you know, the road to Emmaus, right? Jesus appears to two disciples, but, but they, they don't recognize him, okay? And, and he's talking to them. And then, and then the, the Bible says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the OT, right? Old Testament. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus here was explaining to them all these, you know, all these books of the Old Testament, what, is, what does it have to do with himself, Jesus Christ? Okay? Because at this point, what scripture is there is mainly the first five books of the Bible. Right? The Old Testament, New Testament hasn't been written. Right? So he was talking about how Jesus is in all these books of the Old Testament. John chapter 5. This is Jesus talking to Jews who are trying to um, accuse him and persecute him. Okay? He says, you study the scriptures. So again, the scriptures is like Old Testament. Right? You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them... You have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. So he's saying that the OT, the scriptures, testify about Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus himself makes it very clear that everything in scripture, OT and now, obviously we have the NT as well, it points to Jesus. Only Jesus is the answer. Right? In this big narrative of redemption, which begins here in Genesis. Longest intro ever, okay? But it's very important, okay? Are you still with me? Okay, so, so that's, 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 the, that's the link. That Genesis is like the introduction to this entire redemption message, okay? And Genesis 1 to 11 is the introduction to, to Genesis, uh, <laughs> okay? So, now that I've gotten you super interested and excited about our In the Beginning series... Great. I will show you now the overview of Genesis, okay? So Genesis is divided into two parts. First part is uh, chapters 1 to 11, okay? Sometimes we call it the primeval history or prehistory, okay? And so these are all the familiar stories, right? This is what our series will be about. The creation, the fall, Cain and Abel, Noah and the flood, Tower of Babel, right? If you've grown up in church, you will probably have heard all these stories, okay? So this is what we're going to cover in, in this series. And it's really the kind of big picture intro to the rest of the Bible, okay? And then, uh, chapter Genesis 12 to 50, it zooms in to individual stories and individual lives, right? You'll see that every section will start with, this is the account of blah, 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 blah. Okay? So Adam, Noah, whoever. And, and we, won't be, we won't be covering this, but I hope that after this series, you'll be inspired to read on, okay? So finally, now, let us look at Genesis Chapter 1, okay? Now, today in the sermon, I'm going to look at the six days of creation, okay? Um, very briefly, and then we will zoom in onto day 7 and day 6, okay? What's day 7 about? Rest, and day 6 is about? Hum okay, yeah, humans, okay? Now, I don't know if you have all these questions about creation, like um, how old is the universe? Is it 15 billion years? Or have you heard of the theory of the young earth. Okay, only Joseph is nodding his head. Great, because we're not going to cover it today. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, was the universe, like some of you have this, like, was the universe created in six literal days? Like, 
24 times 6 hours, right? Is, I mean, is that like geologically and biologically possible with all the, I don't know <laughs> what science stuff, considering stuff like, you know, the velocity of light and uh, you know, thermal decay and the time-space continuum. Like, clearly, I, I understand what I'm talking about. And what about evolution? Big Bang Theory. Do you, do you ever read things about this? Oh, you just watched Big Bang Theory. <laughs> right? Or like, um, where did the dinosaurs come in? What? Did you say raw? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And, you know, in, uh, in preparing for today's sermon, so I, I read some stuff and I listened to sermons that, that touched on, on all these things. But, but guys, you must understand that uh, I am a literature student. I only know how to read storybooks. Okay, so I... And then anyway, <laughs> there is no way I can cover all this stuff uh, in one sermon. So I hope this doesn't disappoint, but I will not be covering all these sciencey stuff today. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that, that they are silly or unimportant questions, okay? Um, if these are things you are interested in, you can come and talk to me. I can um, direct you to, to read things. PM me, okay? Um, yeah, but okay, we... we so, so I think those are questions that you should pursue if you are interested. Uh, but can I just say something about the Big Bang Theory? You know, the Big Bang Theory essentially just says, in the beginning, there was nothing. And then it exploded. Which makes no, no sense, right? Does it? In the beginning, there was nothing. And then it exploded. Okay, so I, th I, think, I think at the core of all these debates and, and questions on creation, it's, it's actually an issue of two different worldviews. Okay? One is that everything happens randomly. Okay, for example, Big Bang. Or behind everything, there is a creator, there is a designer who is, um, well, omnipotent, all-powerful. But what we believe is that he's not just omnipotent, but he's also good and loving. Okay, so, so that's, the, that's the worldview. And my phone on. Okay, so, so if, if that is our worldview, right, that behind everything there is the creator, it's kind of like the Bible, right? We say that these six, six books... You know, either they just all happen to match and fit and convey one message, or there is one designer, creator, author behind everything, divinely inspiring the many writers across the centuries. Okay, so let's begin. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning. Okay, quiz. Which of the four Gospels begin like this? Yes, Ray Chen. Wow, very good, Hua Chong Institution. <laughs> Here, you get a pack of Skittles. Oops, monkey caught it. Oops. <laughs> okay, that is our next series, okay? That's our next series, okay? The, the, the Gospel of John. Now, um, in the beginning, I'm sure most of you will, will know this already, but let's go through the six days, okay? Sorry. Okay, okay so... Day one, let there be light, right? Let there be light, okay? Uh, God separated the light from the darkness, okay? Day two, let there be a space, right? This, this, what, what is this? An expanse or a, a firmament, okay? And he separated the waters. So basically it was like, let there be sky, okay? Day three, let there be land and plants, right? Day four, he created the sun, moon, and stars, okay, to govern the day, govern the night, separate light from darkness. Day five, he created sea creatures and birds. Day six, animals 
and humans. By the way, so which came first, the chicken or the egg? Why? Yeah, correct. He created animals first. Okay, that's the answer. Chicken came first. Okay, now, so these are the six days, okay? Now, notice how um, in the order of creation, right, the first three days, God created habitats, right? And then the next three days, He created the inhabitants of these habitats, okay? So first, He formed the environment, and then He filled the environment, okay? Now, okay, this is, I'm running out, but okay. Um, we, we keep, you know, you know when you read the creation story, you will see like, um, and God saw that it was good, right? You keep seeing that, right? But there is one day where, he, where it does not, no, 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 where it does not say that it was good. Which day is it? What? No, not very good. The thing is not good. No, no mention of good. Seven doesn't count. Six days. Yes, Stefan? What? You know, we put our hand. Huh? Fifth day wrong. <laughs> Guys, you just look in your Bible. The answer is there. No, wrong. Eh? Don't just anyhow shout out a random number. Huh? Day one? Okay, it's day two. I didn't know her. Day one, he said that the light was good. Day two, day two, check it, check it. And it was so. Ah, there's, there's no mention of good, okay? Why, why, why? Noah, why, why? Why is there no good? Huh? It wasn't good. God's creation wasn't good. <laughs> okay, why, why? So it's the second day, right? We read it, right? When he separated the, they said, let there be an expanse. He separated the waters, right? And then he says, it was so. He doesn't say it was good. Why? Uh, yeah, is it because the, the writer forgot? What do you think? Of course not, right? Hello, 66 books. Meaning, of course you didn't forget. Okay, I believe that the answer is this, okay? Every other day was a creation of something, but day two was only a separation. Nothing was created. I mean, as you count space, la, but it's not, it's not, you don't really create a space, you just separate it, right? It was like, let there be space, right? And you know, we've been talking about how God loves unity, right? Like, Jesus prayed that the disciples would be one, Right? Acts chapter 2 last week, you know, there's like next level unity. Right? Psalm 133 is like, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Right? God is God of unity. And, and you know, I mean, sometimes, sometimes separation is necessary. Right? It was necessary to separate the waters. But God is not a fan of separation because God loves unity. That's why there was no God saw it was good because separation is not good. And in fact, there's another part in these first two chapters of Genesis where God says, it is not good. Where? What? Now, Cain and Abel is chapter 4. Yes, when Adam was alone, right? He says, Genesis 2.18, it is not good for the man to be alone. Okay? So you see, God is a God of unity. He's a God of togetherness, right? Separation is not good. Being alone is not good. 
And remember how I said the Bible is one integrated message of redemption, right? Is there separation in the message of redemption? Think about the four, the four pictures. Is there separation? Yeah, number two, right? Separation was necessary because of the sin of man, right? But God has a plan of redemption and reconciliation, right? You know the, the song, the, 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 the carol? God and sin is reckoned, right? What's the song? One of the Christmas carols, right? So, that's why, that's why there was no, it was good on day two. That's about separation. So you see, the message of redemption creeps in everywhere, okay? So, six days of creation, everything was made, right? And then, and then what happened on the seventh day? Okay, remember, remember, uh, what? God took a break? Okay, remember I want to say, I, I said we'll zoom in on day seven, right? Okay, so let's, let's read it. Oh, yeah, here it is. Da, 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 separation, okay? Okay, let's read it. Genesis 2, 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And we've come to call this day of rest the Sabbath, right? Okay, so let's talk about the Sabbath. Now, actually, there are a lot of things that can be said and studied about the Sabbath. Uh, by the way, Bernice wrote a paper on the Sabbath, so please consult her. She's the expert. <laughs> Don't kill me. <laughs> okay, let me try to cover the main points, okay? Um, you know, keeping the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, right? Right? Which commandment is it? It's the fourth, okay? It's the fourth commandment. And if you turn to Exodus 20, if you turn to Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are, okay, you will see that God actually spent some time explaining the commandment, right? You know, some, some of them are just like, do not murder, you know, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, right? But, but for the Sabbath, he, he kind of he elaborates, okay? And, and he makes a direct link to the creation story, okay? So look at Exodus 20, verse 8. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Okay, and then verse 11 is the explanation why you must do that, okay? For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, God blessed, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, okay? So this is the fourth commandment. And you know, I feel like, I feel like sometimes we don't take this command as seriously as we do the others, right? Because like, we say, like, oh yes, obviously you cannot murder, right? You cannot steal, you know? You cannot uh, commit adultery, you know, that kind of thing. But, but, but it's like, do you, do you keep the Sabbath? You're like, mm, well. Okay, you know, do you know um, in a recent survey last year, do you remember taking a survey? Uh, there was a question that says, how often do you practice Sabbath rest? Okay, and among the youths, that is all of us, they find you, okay, about 20% said, almost, almost 20% said you practice Sabbath rest once a week. Okay, very good. Okay, and 76% said never. Like, I never practice Sabbath rest. That, that's terrible. It's one of God's commands. Fourth commandment, right? Now, I don't know if, if, if it's because you don't, the people who said this don't understand what Sabbath means. Or, or maybe you think um, Sabbath just means coming to church, but it doesn't make sense because 
76% of people, I mean, if they don't come to church, how would they take the survey, right? So I, I, I don't know what it means, but clearly, this is something we need to talk about, okay? So let's talk about um, the Sabbath, okay? How the Sabbath is as rest, okay? So Genesis 2.2 says, On the seventh day, God rested. Right? And if you use the NIV Bible, there is like a little footnote, and then you look at the bottom, it says the word rested, is, it means ceased. Okay? Like stopped. Okay? So it wasn't like God created the world in six days, then, he, then he's like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I, I need to sit down and I chill, chill, chill for a while. I mean, he, he's God, right? So it, it's more like he, he ceased, he stopped, because the work was completed. The work was done. Right? Genesis 2.2 says, God had finished the work. It is finished. Okay? And, and the fact that one whole day is dedicated to rest, I think, shows a sense of God being satisfied and happy with his work. Right? It's almost like he, he sat back and then he admired his creation here. He's like, wow, this world is beautiful. I, I did such a great job, man. You know, right? It's kind of like sometimes I, I put on my makeup and I look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, what a beautiful person. And, no, okay, I'm just kidding. Man. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, after six days of creation, right, God wasn't like, oh, 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 sharks, did I, did I design the moon properly? Like, oh, okay, okay, will, will the water cycle work if they, you know, what? like, oh man, look at the baboon, I screwed up his backside, you know? God, God is like, it's good. Right? He looks at everything, he's like, it's good. Hashtag no regrets. Right? He just sat there and he took pleasure and delight in his creation. And by resting, he was declaring just how good his creation was. Right? He didn't rest because he's tired, you know. And God doesn't get tired, right? And so in the same way, we rest Okay, we rest and we don't, we don't strive and stress like, oh, shucks, did, did, did I do it properly? Did I, did I do it enough? Did I, did I do it right? You know, we don't stress, we, we rest because God rested. Right? We follow His pattern of rest because we are made in His image. And so we honour the Sabbath because in obeying this command, we honour God. Okay, let, let me try to explain it a bit more. Okay? Now, I believe that this obedience to God about the fourth commandment, okay, about keeping the Sabbath, is also about trusting in God. Okay? So we trust that even if we stop working that one day in a week, right? even if everyone, about, everyone around us is like working and studying very hard, whatever, it's okay. God will still provide, God will take care of us, and God will bless us. Right? You're not going to fail your old levels because you come to church on Saturdays instead of like chonging and studying at home. Amen, old level people? Right? Amen. Exactly. So instead of like, you know, you're working and you feel like you need to keep up with everyone else. And, you know, whether it's in terms of studying or like earning money or, or just like doing work, you know, instead we rest because we trust in God. And, and, and I know of people um, and, and some people here as well who have made decisions not to work on, on a Saturday or a Sunday because I have church. Right? It's, it's just a decision to honour God. And, and their friends or their colleagues who, who work on Saturday or Sundays, um, maybe they will earn more money 
right? Maybe they will get promoted faster because they are working so-called harder. Maybe they will gain more favor with the boss or whatever. But it's okay. We just trust God. We trust that he will take care of us and he will take care of things, right? Some of you may remember the story of Eric Little, right? That I shared maybe, maybe two years ago. So he was supposed to run the 100-meter event at the Olympics, right? It was the event that he had been training for and he was favored to win, okay? But when he reached there, he realized that the event was held on a Sunday. And Eric Little was like, oh, then I can't run because it's the Sabbath, okay? And of course, some people, uh, maybe like the, the taxpayers whose money sent him there, right, were like, what's your problem? It's just one day, you know, just, just do the Sabbath thing another day, you know, postpone, just do Sabbath on Monday or something, right? But, but that's not really the point because we can all debate on whether or not he should have just run anyway, right? But I think the point is that his heart and his attitude was this, I want to honour God on the Sabbath and even if it means I will lose out on an Olympic medal, which I have been training and training and training for, it's okay. I just put God first. You know, I just trust in Him. I trust that my, my training, all my you know, hours and hours of training, my, my talent will not be wasted. You know, I won't lose out because I put God first. And if you watch the, the, the movie clip, right, or the movie, right, um, you know, someone passed him this slip of paper that says, uh, he that honors me, I will honor. Right? It's, a, it's a quote from uh, 1 Samuel, actually. And, and you know what happened, right? So instead of running the 100-meter race, he ran the 400-meter race instead, which is not what he had trained for. And uh, as, a, as a professional athlete myself, I can tell you that... Uh, what, why you laugh? I can tell you that 100 meters and 400 meters is very different, right? The real athletes, right? <laughs> right? But so he ran the 400 meter race instead and he won the gold medal, right? He honored the Sabbath and in this case, God honored him also with a gold medal. Now, I don't know, I don't know if, you, if you already feel it in school, right? But I think, I think you will definitely feel it when, when you start working. You know, in general, um, Singaporeans and, and actually many people in first world countries, right? They are like perpetually stressed, busy and overworked. Everybody works super hard, right? I mean, a lot of people, my friends, you know, they're constantly working. Even, not in their, even if they're not in the office, they are like they are checking their emails, their phones, or whatever. Even when they're on holiday, they bring like, some stupid VPN token thingy, don't know what. And, uh, you know, they're always working, always working. And, and, and it's like when, when you meet people and ask them, uh, oh, so how are you? The most common answer is like, yeah, we're busy, yeah, we're busy. We're, we're, we're busy, <laughs> right? And I don't know if you feel that in, in school as well. You know, there's, there's homework, there's CCA, there's... Know, projects and piano, whatever, and you're just busy, 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 right? Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with doing work, obviously. There's nothing wrong with um, doing a lot of work. But, but I think when we are so busy scrambling after all these things all the time, and we don't rest, and we don't honor God by resting, then sometimes we forget that we don't have to strive and like chiong, you know, to gain God's favor um, God's blessings, God's love, and we don't get our self-worth and identity from our work or our accomplishments. We only get it from God. Right? Our self-worth does not come from our accomplishments. And so we observe Sabbath rest because we trust in God's provision. Right? You know, when, when we observe the Sabbath, of course, 
Of course, it's for our own good to rest also, right? Because we're not machines, you know, we are, we're humans, and it's a natural thing. You have to rest in order not to burn out, right? But it is also an act of faith that says we trust not in our own efforts and our own labor. We trust in God and we rest in Him. And so we don't have to keep stressing and keep worrying like, have I, have I worked hard enough? Have I done enough? You know, we just trust because God will provide. We trust that God will take care of things and God will take care of us. Let me show you an example, okay? Let's go to Exodus 16. Okay, this is the first time the word Sabbath is used in the Bible. Okay, so remember we talked about law of first mention, right? The first time a concept is introduced, it's significant. Okay, and this is the story of God providing quail for the Israelites when they are in the desert, okay? So what has happened is God has brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, and they were in the, de- in the desert. And then they were like, we're starving. We miss meat. We wish we were back in slavery where we could sit around and eat all the food we wanted. Remember this part? I was like, really? Is that what slaves do? I mean, I decay, okay. But they were like, well, we wish we died in Egypt. And God is like, okay, die now. <laughs> no, okay, of course not. That's, that's not God. That's me. Okay, God said, what did he say? Okay, I will give you bread and quail meat from heaven. Like heaven delivery service. You know, like free delivery service into the desert from heaven. Okay, but it came with instructions. Okay, he said, each one gather only as much as you need. Okay, just take what you need. Uh, Exodus 16 verse 19 don't keep any of it until the morning. Just take what you need. Okay, so God's saying don't be greedy because there's, there's no need to be greedy. Every day there will be fresh food. There's no need to like tapau in your house. Okay, every day just take what you need. But of course you know, right? You tell them not to do something, they will do it just like my kids, <laughs> right? And so what happened, right? What happened? The extra food that they kept became full of maggots and it became stinky. Right? And obviously, God already told you, right? And of course, Moses was like, ah! Okay, never mind. There was another instruction. Okay, verse 23. Moses said to the people, this is what the Lord commanded, tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So, bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, save whatever is less, and keep it until morning. Okay? So he's saying, because the next day is the Sabbath, today you can keep. You can keep the food. You can tap out it, you can put it in your fridge or microwave, whatever, okay? Because on the Sabbath, you don't do work, right? You don't go out and gather and then cook and, and, and all that. And so the people did that. And when they kept the food overnight this time, there were no maggots. It was not stinky. They could just enjoy it, right? So it's, it's not about the tapawing, you know. It's about the obedience, right? Following what God says, okay? So verse 25, Moses says, Eat it today. Because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are together, but on the seventh, the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. So just think about the situation. It's quite cool, right? I mean, if you, know, if you are greedy and you keep extra, it rots, right? But if you keep it the day before the Sabbath, because you want to honor the Sabbath, it doesn't rot, right? Because on the Sabbath, there's, there's no food, okay? But look at verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the Sabbath day to gather it. But they found none. Obviously, right? God already told you. Like, what's your problem? 
So once again, Moses was like, ah, and, and God had to state the obvious for these people. Okay, verse 28. How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why, that is why, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh, on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So, you see, the people who kept the food on the non-Sabbath days, okay, when they were not supposed to, and the people who went out to find the food, when God already said there will be no food, they didn't trust. Right? They didn't trust. Because God already told them, but they didn't trust. God already said, I'll take care of things. My system works. Right? I'll take care of things. But their attitude was like, okay, even though God, creator of the universe and giver of this miraculous food, told us, I, I, just, I just try my way also. Lah. Right? Maybe I can get something. Right? Maybe I can keep a bit, can get some extra. Maybe I go out and find a piece of some extra. And what did they end up with? They ended up with stinky, rotten meat. And they ended up looking like a fool, searching for food when everyone's at home, just enjoying their Sabbath meal. But you know, that's, that's us sometimes, right? Because God says, just trust me. I will give you what I need. I will give you what you need, right? I'm with you always. I don't sleep or slumber. I will not let your foot slip. I'll take care of you. There's no need to be kiasu. But sometimes we're like, uh, no, no, no. I think I better try my way also, right? And then what happens when we don't listen to God? We, we end up with rot. We end up with nothing. When we should just trust. Because the creator knows what he's doing. You know, sometimes I think some of us, we, we, we feel like, oh, no, 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 I, I, I cannot rest. I cannot take a break because if I rest, then, then this will happen and, and, and that will screw up. And, you know, like, oh, if I spend one day resting, oh, my gosh, everything will unravel and, and, and I'll be totally behind, right? And, you know, firstly, I think, I think an attitude like that, right, there's, there's actually some pride behind it. Right? Like, you feel like everything hangs on you, everything depends on you. So, so I, 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 can't, I can't let go, you know? I, I can't just trust because I need to make sure that everything is under control. And secondly, you know, if you just consider the creation story, just think about God, the almighty, all-powerful creator of the universe. It should give us some perspective, right? That even if we, little humans, take a day of rest, the world will not to an end. I mean, I can assure you of that. The creation story shows us God is the creator, right? And you know, in Colossians, it says, by him, all things were created, and in him, all things hold together. All things hold together. So just trust in God. Just rest in God. You know, if you think about it physically, it's common sense, right? If you don't sleep, you'll reach a point of exhaustion, right? It's the same on all levels, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Remember the, the guy, Augustine, right? He's also the one that said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, you are the creator, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I, I, th I think if you find yourself always restless and stressed and worried, about not having done enough, about not doing things right, about losing control, about not keeping up, then you really need to learn to observe Sabbath rest and trust and rest in God. So what does it mean practically okay, to honour the Sabbath? Now, Sabbath rest is not about slacking around and avoiding work. 
Okay, he's like, oh, it's a Sabbath, can't do my homework, no choice but to watch TV, <laughs> you know. You know, the, the, the Jews, right, they, they are actually famous for taking Sabbath rules to the extreme, right? You know, in Israel, they have Sabbath elevators, right? So it's the lift, right? And because um, on the Sabbath, you can't even lift your hand to press the button. That's work. So you just stand in the lift, and then the li- this lift stops at every floor. So you just stand there and wait for your floor. Oh, you don't need to do any work. Just walk out on this floor, okay? Um, and, and uh, you know, in, in Israel, like on, on the Sabbath, uh, Sabbath day, like people, they don't use their phones, they don't use a computer, the streets are quiet, like, like nothing much happens. You know, they just like stay at home and eat or something like that. And then, uh, you know, even when, when, when I was in university, my husband had a, had a friend who's Jewish. And uh, he even left his exam early because he needed to rush home because the next day is Sabbath. Okay, so, so like, uh, Sabbath is on Saturday, okay, their, their Shabbat is on Saturday, right? So you need to be, but it starts on Friday evening, okay? So you need to be back home by Friday evening because once it's Friday evening, you're not supposed to do anything, you know? You cannot, like, press the lid, whatever. You just be stuck somewhere, right? Oh, uh, so he just, uh, just left, it, left his exam early and nobody got time for exams and just went, went home, right? And, I mean, I mean, all this is pretty extreme, right? And I think if we are only interested in the do's and don'ts, about what Sabbath means, like, oh, I cannot do this, I cannot do that, can we, can we raise out? I mean, I'm, I'm not so sure if, like, how you can't raise your hand to press the lift, but how come you can walk into the lift? Yeah, so I, I'm not really sure how it works, right? But if all we think about is, is about the, the external rules, then, then I think we've missed the point. Because that's what Jesus talked about a lot when he was on earth, and the Jewish religious leaders would give him a lot of grief about, like, healing on the Sabbath and, like, you know, not keeping the, the Sabbath rules and all that. So it's not about external stuff. I think Sabbath rest is about intentionally setting aside time to turn our eyes to God and to rest in God. That's why on the Sabbath, right, we come to church, we worship, you know, we spend time, we, we read His Word, we, we pray, we be in spiritual community. Um, we intentionally set aside time to focus on God and we, to think about the work that He has done. Right? In, in creation, in our lives. Let me show you some wise words quoted from a, a famous theo- theologian. <laughs> Sabbath rest helps us to change our focus on seeing work to be done to appreciating the grace of God hidden in everything. So instead of thinking about the work that we have to do, we think about the work that God has done and is doing. Right? So on the Sabbath... We honor God by, by resting in Him and we enjoy the world that He has created by remembering the works that He has done. We put aside our work and remember the work He has done for us. Okay, so, so other than coming to church on Sunday or Saturday, obviously, and, and by the way, there are all these debates on whether Sabbath is actually Saturday or Sunday, okay? But, but we won't go into that now because I think actually the, the actual day is it's not the important thing, okay? I think we can also practice Sabbath rest every day just by spending time with God, right? When we, when we do our quiet time, right, we, we realign, we refocus, we honor God by reading His Word, by praying. Instead of simply being caught up with trying to do everything ourselves, like, oh, busy, 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 you know, oh, sorry, I really can't spare you the time, God, because I am so busy, I have to do all this. We observe Sabbath rest. So, observing a Sabbath, it's not about the external rules, right? It's really about intentionally setting aside time for God. We give Him and we dedicate to Him 
the first day of the week, right? We, we rest in him and, 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 and we rest in him so as to say, I trust you, God. Even if I take one day out of my week or one hour out of my day, out of my busy schedule to honor you, it's fine because you're worth it. You're in control. And so let us honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Okay, let us observe Sabbath as rest. But today I also want to talk about how there's a deeper meaning to the Sabbath than just like resting and, and chilling. Okay, like as in like take a break, right? You know, when we read the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, God links the Sabbath to the creation story, right? We just looked at it. Now, but a little later in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses explains and he tells the, the Israelites the Ten Commandments, okay, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, okay, chapter 5, verses 12 onwards. Okay, Deuteronomy 5 says this. So again, it's about the Ten Commandments, but here's what Moses says. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, etc., etc. Verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Okay? So the reason for observing the Sabbath day is what? The deliverance from, from Egypt, right? So instead of the creation story, here, Moses links it to the deliverance story, right? Deliverance out of Egypt. Now, we talked about the Sabbath being a, a resting in God and trusting in His provision, right? So, God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt was an example of that, of His provision and, and all that, right? So, obviously, you can trust that the same God who miraculously and, and supernaturally, amazingly, dramatically brought you out of Egypt will, in the same way, provide for you and take care of you and, and all that, right? But more than that, this passage is saying, remember, you were slaves. You were slaves, but not anymore. Now you are free people. You are no longer a slave to Egypt, right? Just as in the same way today, I'm no longer a slave, right? I'm no longer a slave to fear, right? We are in the same way, we are no longer slaves to fear, to the uncertainty, to insecurity, to death. And we can rest because we've been set free. You get it? Because we are free people. And so Sabbath is not just about rest as in like take a break and chill. But Sabbath is also about redemption. That we can rest and chill and not be striving and stressed because God has saved us from our bondage to sin and death. Okay? Now, one more, one more passage. I think this will explain it a bit more uh, clearly. Okay, Hebrews chapter 4 is a, a tiny bit complicated. You've got to follow, you gotta follow quite co closely, but I think, I think you'll, you'll catch it at the end. Okay? Hebrews chapter 4, if you read the, uh, if, you, if you use the NRV Bible, there is a title. Okay? The title is, A Sabbath Rest for the People of God. Right? And then the passage talks about entering this rest. Okay? Sabbath rest for the people of God. How do we enter this rest? Okay? 
Look at verse 3. Let's start at verse 3. Hebrews 4, verse 3 says, Now we who have believed, okay, so this is about believers, those who have been saved. We who have believed enter that rest. Okay, so we enter this rest. And this rest is a promise from God. Look at verse 1. It's a promise from God, right? It's promised. And this rest, look at verse 2, is entered by faith. Okay, it's a promise from God. It's entered by faith. That is how you enter this rest. So, so what is this rest? This rest is actually talking about salvation. Right? Maybe, you know, it's linked to kind of like eternal rest because we will have eternal life. Um, but but I, I think there's more to it still. So the passage goes on to talk about, again, the creation story, right? How God rested after he, he finished the creation of the world. Okay, we skip to verse 8. It says, For if Joshua, the one who brought him into the promised land, if Joshua had given them rest, okay, if this promise of rest had already been fulfilled when Joshua brought the people of Israel into the promised land, right? God would not have spoken later about another day. So that, that means there is another rest that is to come, okay? And then the main point is there in verse 9, okay? Verse 9 onwards. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The people of God, i.e. the believers, right? People who believe, people who are saved. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And verse 10 is the key. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his, okay? So remember we said we rest because God rested, right? And God rested because he, he finished the work of creation, right? But what about us? We didn't create any world, right? We, 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 okay, so we rest from our work. But you know, it's not just work like, like our homework and you know, our jobs and etc. right? We rest from our working for salvation. Okay? We rest from salvation by works because Jesus finished the work on the cross. You get it? Okay, we rest, we rest from, from salvation by works. We, we rest from working for salvation, like striving, trying to earn it. Okay, we rest from that work of trying to gain salvation because Jesus finished the work on the cross. Remember I said in Genesis 2-2, God rested from all his work, right? That the work, the, and the word is he ceased, he stopped from all his work. In the same way we cease, we stop our efforts of trying to gain salvation by our own works, and we rest in the completed and finished work of Christ on the cross. That's what he said when he was there on the cross. It is finished. Finish the work. So Sabbath is about rest, but if we go deeper into it, Sabbath is also about redemption. Right? Remember how we said the main message of the Bible is one of redemption. And so God finished his work of creation on the seventh day just as Jesus would hang on the cross one day and finish the work of redemption. It is finished. Right? And that's why very often, we, you know, as believers, we get on the Sabbath and we take the communion together, the bread and the wine, because we remember Jesus' finished work on the cross. Okay, so that's day seventh, the Sabbath. We rest in God because we trust Him and because it is finished. We can rest 
in the completed work of God in creation and the completed work of Jesus on the cross. Are we okay? All right, let's move on swiftly to day six, or maybe move backwards. Okay, what happened on day six? What happened on day six? Man, humans were created, right? So humans um, were the last thing to be created, right? After God created man and woman, he looked at everything and he said, he saw that it was very good, right? Previously, just good, right? When he created humans, he said it was very good. You know, if you think about this, it's crazy, right? Can you imagine God created like the stars, the galaxy, and the sun, and the moon, and, and, and like, you know, I don't know, like the mountains, and the oceans, and he's like, mm, good. And then he created man and woman, and he's like, very good. Like, very good compared to sun, moon, stars, Mount Everest, Pacific Ocean, etc., right? And that's why, like, some people say that humans um, are the, the climax of creation. Because you always save the best for the last, right? But who, who was created first, man or woman? Yeah, women was created last. Save the best for the last, okay? Amen. Preaching to this side, okay? <laughs> now, I, I, I want to share with you two key things about mankind, okay? That we can learn from the creation story, Okay? The first is this, very obvious, right? That we are made in the image of God. Okay, Genesis 1.27 says that. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You know, if you look at the creation story, right? There are many things that set humans apart from the rest of creation. And one of them is this. Before creating man, God had like a little conversation with himself, you know? With, 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 with the Trinity, right? Where he said... Let us, right, the Father talking to the Son and Spirit. Verse 26, let us make men in our image and in our likeness. You know, he, he didn't have this discussion or like this preamble or this like proclamation before any other part of creation. But just before he was going to create man, he was like, let us now create man in our image. And, and so, so I think it's true, right, that, that, you know, maybe humans are the climax of creation. In fact, God says, let them rule over all the animals, right? So they, they are like the, the, the head, you know? They rule over all the animals. And in verse 28, God tells men, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over all the animals, right? So humans, we are created to rule and subdue the animals in case any of you had any doubt about that. And you know, all creation reflect God, reflects uh, God's glory, right? You know, you see like a beautiful landscape, like, I don't know, the Grand Canyon or... Mount Everest, um, or like beautiful ocean or whatever. And it's like, wow, creation declares the glory of God, right? Like the whole earth is full of his, do you feel that? You need to get out more, you know, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, creation declares the, the glory of God. Creation, so all creation shows off his glory. But can you imagine mankind, we are next level. Like better than, you know, Pacific Ocean or whatever. Because we don't just show off his glory, we show off his very image, his likeness. You know how some babies, they look like exactly like their parents, right? It's just, it's almost weird, right? It's just kind of like carbon copy. Like you see the baby, you're like, oh, I know exactly who your father is, right? That's like us and God. You know, we, we resemble him. We bear his likeness because we are made in his image. 
So what does that mean for us other than, oh, okay, I guess we look like God, you know, like he probably has a face and like two arms, two legs and whatever. Now, I think this truth that we are made in his image is, is an important thing to remember when we think about people in general, including ourselves. Because if we are made in the image of God, that means that we have intrinsic value and worth simply because we are human beings, right? And sometimes we struggle with thoughts like, oh, I'm so ugly, I'm so fat, I'm so worthless, I'm useless, like, I look so bad, etc. But no, we're, we're made in the image of God. We reflect His divine likeness. And you know, this is not some like self-help positive talk where I ask you to like stand in front of the mirror and be like, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you know? It, no, it, I mean, you know, it's not that. It's like, I'm made in the image of God. I bear His likeness. And you're beautiful because you look like God. Not because like, you know, you have I don't know, a straight nose or whatever, right? You're beautiful because you bear the image of God. And then beyond ourselves, you know, if we believe this truth that every human being is made in the image of God, it should shape our view towards society, right? It should shape our view towards things like social justice, towards issues like abortion, euthanasia, you know, capital punishment, racism, right? And, and I'm not saying that in any way that these are simple or clear-cut issues. But when we think about these things, if we base our worldview on biblical truths, then we have to remember that every human being, every human being is created with value and worth simply because we are human beings, right? Because we are made in the image of God. But before I move on, um, I also want to say that, you know, even though we are made in the image of God, right, we're also made from dust, right? Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. Without God's breath of life, we're just dust, right? And, and I was, I was, uh, I was uh, reading stuff like how, um, if you think about the, I don't know what, uh, atoms, elements that your, your bodies are made of, Right, which is, I think, like carbon, oxygen, calcium, hydrogen. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> and they are all stuff that's just found in the ground. Right? We are literally made from dust. And that's what the psalmist in Psalm 8 says, What is man dust that you are mindful of him? You made him ruler over the works of your hands. We're all made of dust. But we're made in the image of God. <laughs> so I think that's a healthy, balanced way to think about yourself. You know, you're made in the image of God, but actually you're made of dust. The only thing that makes you, you know, a living being is God's breath of life. Okay, so we are made in the image of God. Second thing, we are made for relationship with God. You know, if you look at the creation story, right, mankind is the only part of creation that after God, uh, that that God spoke to after creating them, right? Because you don't read of God like creating the moon or in the sun or whatever and then telling, okay, now you go around the moon, okay? Or you're like, okay, at night you, are, you take night, you take day, right? He doesn't speak to any night, right? He doesn't like create animals and tell them to be fruitful and multiply or whatever, right? But after he created man and woman, God spoke to them. He spoke to them, right? Verse 28, be fruitful, increase in number, etc. 
God created us to have a relationship with us. In fact, let's just look now at Genesis chapter 2, okay? Now, by the way, chapter 2 is not a, it's not a, it's not a separate creation account, okay? It's the same event, but told from a slightly different perspective, right? And, and with some additional details about the rain and the, the rivers and all that. But chapter 2 actually zooms in on the relationship between God and man, okay? You know, in the Hebrew, in, in Genesis chapter 1, the word for God is Elohim, okay? In chapter 1, which, which just means God, okay? Um, but in chapter 2, uh, and you will see it, I believe, in most Bible translations, you will see that God is referred to as the Lord God, right? With Lord capitalized. Is that, is that in your Bible? Right? So Genesis 1 is just God, God this, God that. Genesis 2 is the Lord God, right? Because it's a different Hebrew word, Hebrew word, and that word is Yahweh, which is the personal name for God. Whereas like Elohim is like a generic name for God. Elohim can mean a God right? or the God, okay? But, he, but chapter 2 is Yahweh. God is a personal, personal God, his personal name. And in chapter 2, we see God speaking to man. He speaks to Adam. And he tells him, you can eat any tree except this one, okay? We'll look at this account um, next week in greater, in greater detail, okay? And, 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 you know, just as man was created for relationship with God, we read also that man was created for relationship with one another, which is why God says, verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. You know, the boys in the house say, oh, okay, not, not thinking of getting a girlfriend yet, okay. So this is what we've been talking about in, in, in Lao Gen, right? About community, about relationships, about unity, right? Remember Jesus prayed for unity for the disciples in John 17, right? He prayed that they may be one as we, Father and Son, are one, right? Who's we? Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father, right? So this is, this is God saying, let us create man in our image. And then Jesus prays that they may be one as we are one, right? And so God created Man, but it was not good for him to be alone, and so he created the pinnacle of creation, woman. Okay, Genesis 2, chapter 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Can I, can I get a keyboardist up? You know, um, I, I'm going to end soon, okay? While preparing for this sermon, um, I was listening to some messages. And I have to say that this one thing that I heard is, is what impacted me the most, okay? This speaker said this. Adam's bride was paid for by the wound in his side, right? God took out his, you know, one of his ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. It's like, kind of like surgery, right? It took, like there was a wound. I mean, there has to be a wound, right? Not how the rib come out, right? Adam's bride was paid for by the wound in his side. And what does this make you think of? I mean, obviously, right? It makes you think of Jesus on the cross dying to save us from our sin. Right? He was pierced. There was a wound in his side. He was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. And by his wounds, we are healed. You know, when we look at the Adam and Eve account, we, we often... Um, look at it when we, when we think about my marriage, right? And all these wedding sermons, you're always preaching from Genesis 2, right? 
But you know, more than normal weddings between like um, a man and a woman, marriage actually always points, the concept of marriage points us to the ultimate marriage supper of the Lamb at the end. When Christ, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, comes for the church, His bride. His bride that He paid for and He redeemed through the wounds in His sight, but also in His hands, across His back, everywhere. And I told you at the beginning, right, one integrated message of the Bible, a message of redemption, God's love letter to you. Everything, everything in here points us to Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. You know, when, when I heard the speaker say this, right, it, it, it really blew me away because just imagine, right, from the beginning of time, years and years, thousands of years ago, when God first created the universe in all its beauty and glory, and this is before the fall, you know, before like man screwed everything up, right? God already, he already knew that mankind would not be able to make it on our own. That we would need a savior. And can you imagine like God just did a great job creating the entire universe. And then he created man, he created someone in, in, in his own image. Someone who he would have you know, a relationship with, someone to love. And, and as he's creating Eve, right? as he's taking the rib out, I'm sure he would have thought the time years and years later when his son because, because of the sin of these people whom he's creating his son would be pierced and wounded in that place as well and everywhere else. You know at a point God didn't say well I'll delete. Right? He didn't ask oh, forget it man forget it this man right. He says God saw all that he had made and it was very good he, even at that point that is the extent of his love for us and that is why I say that this is God's love letter to us you know when you know this if you grew up in church you will know the song right Jesus loves me this I know but the Bible tells me so it's not just one verse you know it's not just like oh John 3.16 God's love the world the entire Bible tells us Jesus loves you so. Entire Bible. God loves us. He has a wonderful plan for our life. He created this awesome world for us to live in. And right in the beginning, God already knew. He already knew that we would sin. He already knew that sin would separate us from Him. And so He sent His Son Jesus to save us. That was His redemption plan all along. From the beginning, you think it's a coincidence that He took out the rib? From the beginning, there was a plan for redemption. And then all through the Bible, God's love letter to you. The message of redemption. Let's rise and think about that. Just come before God in prayer. And would you allow the message of redemption to touch you once again? From the beginning, it's not even like before you were formed in your mother's womb. It's like before time even began. God loved us. He had a plan of redemption for us from the beginning.
Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of the work of your hands. We think about the stars and the moon and, and all of creation that, that is your work. And God, we are just amazed that creator of the universe would bother about small beings like us. From the start, you loved us. Knowing full well that we would sin and fail you and just not be able to make it on our own. You had a plan for redemption for us. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That we don't have to strive and worry about salvation or even about provision or anything. We can rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And God, we... we just in awe of your love, your grace, and your mercy. So God, I pray that the God, we will constantly be in awe of you. That we would constantly be in awe of your power and majesty and might that you are king of kings and creator of the universe. And we would constantly be in awe that you are our loving savior, our good, good father. Jesus, you are Savior, Messiah, and the one who has redeemed us. Father, we praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's take a seat. And I'm going to now ask you to gather in your cell groups. And, and I want you to discuss these two questions. Okay, so we talked about the Sabbath, Sabbath rest. Okay, how, what, what does that mean practically for you? The second thing, what does it mean? Okay, what does it mean for you in your life to know that you're made in the image of God? Okay, so um, CGLs, can you take over? We'll discuss this.